0: Well, this morning, uh, we did Exodus 17 and Exodus 18. We went through pretty much everything in Exodus. I mean, we read Exodus 18 all the way through uh, when I wasn't jumping around too much. But uh, basically, what Moses was doing was adjudicating all the major problems that came before the Israelites. And there was a lot of Israelites. You could imagine how many different disputes. That could come up, uh, when they weren't walking all the time. Uh, you know, somebody, uh, you know, who owns this sheep and who owns this and this guy got mad and hit me and, you know, uh, nothing to say with domestic violence. Now, of course, in Egypt, they had ways of dealing with this also, mostly local issues and things like that. But they had a whole system of courts. They had the Ma'arats, which were the laws of Egypt, uh, which were about 64 basic laws, but all kinds of statutes and ordinances that you could get you into trouble. And uh, they, of course, had courts that were appointed coming down from the top from the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh controlled those courts in one way or another. So you could be... Uh brought before those courts, you know if you killed somebody, if you injured somebody, you had a fight, you ran over somebody's uh sheep or whatever it was, and you caused property damage uh you could uh go to those courts, and those courts uh applied some kind of justice and you know in studying the Egyptian system over a number of dynasties, it continued to vary and shift with different dynasties. As it does with all these centralized governments. One thing, centralized government usually has a lot of power centralized. That's why we call it a centralized government. Centralized in a single compartmentalized, uh, government bureaucracy. And I say compartmentalized because there will be, you know, uh, uh, somebody watching the water. I mean, water was being doled out to all the farmers. Based on what was trapped by the aqueduct system of Egypt, which is what allowed it to grow all the grain and have all the commerce. And the Pharaoh had a vested interest in all the people being very, very productive because he was going to get 20% of what they produced. And with that money, he could afford to have golden chariot wheels, you know, or at least, uh, they would be, uh, covered with gold. <laughs> They weren't solid gold, but uh, because they found chariot wheels where they crossed, uh, you know, Aquaba, and uh, which is the Red Sea, a part of the Red Sea, and that's, we've already covered that, but they found chariot wheels down there. Most of them were encrusted with corals uh, that they found, and of course they didn't find all of them because, you know, it, it's a ten mile stretch of water, and When those uh, chariots were getting bogged down, as we were explaining, the silt was coming in, the water was now coming over the sand, and the sand was washing away, it was hard to even move chariots, you know, hundreds of chariots in a single row or a narrow row. And so, as soon as that sand got wet... the wheels began to dig into a groove and so they actually took the wheels off and just hydroplaned with the bottom of the chariots but the water came in so fast. You know, you have to remember those horses were running down into this crossing which was 10 miles across at that place. Some people say 11, 12. Some people say 8. But it was a long ways. And so... Those horses are pretty well wore out if they were even at a gallop or a trot by the time they got all the way or halfway across. Now, all of a sudden, they see the water cutting them off, and they have to get back, and maybe some of the land is already diminished in the water. It wasn't like the movies. (laughs) Great special effects, but it wasn't like the movies. So they had to take them off. Anyway, we find these chariot wheels down there now. Some of them seemed to be gold-plated, which is very thin covering of gold over probably wooden spokes and ash axles. And the chariots were made so you could easily remove a wheel if a wheel broke and then take a good wheel from another chariot and put on there so it was all standardized, the sizes and everything. And so they had a way of doing this. They uh, were taking all that stuff off and trying to get across and not making it and uh, so that's that was the the problem with getting across but the people following Moses they got across and then they had those adventures where there was nothing but terrible water to drink and then there wasn't enough bread they were probably running out of grain you can only carry so much grain with you And, uh, of course, they could eat some of their livestock, but then they wouldn't have that livestock producing again. So they needed more meat supplies. They needed bread supplies. And Moses was able to provide this through the power of God. And that power of God appears to have come through this angel of God, this messenger of God that was leading the way showing them where to go, down the wadi, down to the shores. And Pharaoh thought, well, this... But it seemed to be a strategy where whoever was guiding this had insight. Moses had the insight to communicate with that. But I think that Moses, we talked about it this morning, Moses also had an ability to communicate directly with God. He had learned some way where he could be still and listen to messages of God that would guide him in what to say, what to do, when to do it, what's going to happen next. And we kind of, as he went, as he walked this way for a season, God would guide Moses in what, what he had to do in order to be successful. And it was amazing that he was successful. And, of course, I mentioned this morning that his mother, and maybe his father, also we're getting insight into how do you know what to do day to day, moment to moment. And his mother decided to put her son in a basket, cover it with pitch, set it afloat in the Nile. And if she hadn't done that, Moses' stepmother would not have found him, or adopted mother would not have found him, and he would not have been adopted as the son of the daughter of Pharaoh and therefore the heir to the throne. And they would not have been able to lead the people out. But even though he was put in that position when he was just an infant, based upon the wisdom of his mother, a wisdom that she didn't calculate out through the tree of knowledge, but calculated through the tree of of life, through the Holy Spirit. She knew what she needed to do. She had the faith to do it. I think a lot of people in Israel were doing that. One of the things we're going to see when we go into chapter 19... Is that there were already priests amongst them. Of course, Aaron was a priest, but he had been a priest in Egypt because he knew the arts of the temple. And of course, like we said, the temples were systems. That, there were a lot of things that went on in temples. Some temples were used to finance war. You would, you know, everybody wanted to invest in a war because if you take. If you, if you go into an area and you defeat the king in that area, maybe you have a reason, maybe that king has been, you know, uh, robbing your caravans or, or uh, encroaching upon some of the settlements of your people. We know Egypt had mining interests way out in the desert outside of Egypt. We, we know that Hebrews were doing that mining. We know that they carved Hebrew letters in the walls of those mines. Way back before some people even thought Moses was around. Because they got the timeline wrong. Once we got the timeline lined up, we know, well, Moses did exist. And he was called Moses, not because he was the rightful to Moses of the Bible, but because he was drawn from the water. It's a play on words and language, and we've already gone over all that. But the reality is, you might go to war with some small kingdom that had access to maybe some copper mines or some uh, other mines that uh, mine jade or some other uh, valuable commodity. And if you win that war, now those mines are yours. Their farm fields are yours. They're now subject people. They have to take an oath of fealty. They will have to now, they will get the protection of, of Egypt but they will have to pay some sort of stipends to Egypt for that protection the United States does that all the time we go into a country and we it wasn't the way we used to do it we'd go into Europe and 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 conquer the Germans but uh well the first time World War One, we were a part of that you know the United Nations the League of Nations then put all kinds of heavy burdens on Germany and just made it so they had to struggle to even survive You know, with the Treaty of Versailles. In the Second World War, we were not so uh, cavalier and abusive. There were countries that wanted to be, and of course, Russia wasn't going to let them off the hook, so they stayed and continued to occupy East Germany and absolutely devastated the economy of East Germany. But West Germany was doing great And then, of course, there was East and West Berlin, and we had the airlift. So, we were actually moving into these countries. Private business would go in there and, you know, open up companies, open up factories. The Germans were really hard workers, and they made lots of money. Ford made lots and lots of money. Ford was making the trucks for the Nazis. So... And Ford actually sued the United States government after World War II because the United States government had bombed the factories of Ford in Germany. (laughs) And they they made the United States pay for rebuilding their factories. Probably wasn't in the headlines for you, but you paid the bill. (laughs) But that's what you get when you go from a republic to a democracy. You end up getting... Democratic socialists like FDR in power, and he's going to institute all kinds of ideas. Or Woodrow Wilson, who instituted the League of Nations and income tax through, well, not entirely. Income tax on corporations, it was the 16th Amendment, but it was FDR that instituted income tax on the average laborer. Where now a portion of your labor now belonged to the government. So FDR reintroduced you into the bondage of Egypt. Except for he wasn't as benevolent as Joseph was when you went into the bondage of Egypt back then. Because Joseph put a ceiling limit you could... Pharaoh could not take more than 20%. Now, through Crafts of State, they ended up making it more grievous, but technically it was 20% of the labor produced in a household belonged to the Pharaoh. The more kids you had, the more you had to pay in taxes. So there was an incentive to have a one child or at least one son family. You could have as many girls as you wanted, but having too many boys was going to cost you. And that's clear when they're excavating Navarus, which is where they think the Israelites were and goshhenly some some archaeologists believe that's the case. Joseph said twenty percent and oh, like I was saying in Avaris, they they found an inordinate number of children that were female in amongst the population. There should have been you know about half and half usually, although there's usually more female children that survived the male children and for a lot of reasons. But the the proportions were wrong in this area. And of course the reason was is they were creating some sort of deal where you didn't want to have boy children because it would cut it would impose more taxes on you. So Essence we talked about it this morning, you're back in the bondage of Egypt. We've talked about and you're back in the bondage of Egypt for the same reason the Israelites went into the bondage is because they coveted their brother's status and and that through covetousness they themselves became merchandise in Egypt. They became part of a Corby system of statutory labor. You can look these words up at Preparing You, we show you what the definitions are. But basically if you owe a portion of your labor to the government, you're in the bondage of Egypt. If you don't have lawful title to your land, but only have a legal title to your land or your business, then keeping your land requires that you pay some sort of tribute to the government. And we know that's the case in the United States. If you don't pay your property taxes, you don't pay your property taxes for a couple of years and you owe maybe $10,000 in taxes. They can come and confiscate your entire property. It might be worth $200,000. It might be worth $300,000. They can take it all, sell it to somebody else who will pay the taxes, and you don't get a dime. Some states are different, but That's pretty much evidence you don't own it. And, of course, we explain. you go look up legal title at preparing you. We show you the definition right out of the law dictionary, right out of the law. Legal title is only an apparent title that carries with it no beneficial interest. If you don't own the beneficial interest of property, you don't own the property. In other words, if you don't own the right to the benefits of the property, you don't own the property. You own a right to live on it if you pay tribute. That's not why Americans came to America. That's what happened, but it's happened because you haven't been following the ways of Christ. You haven't been following the ways of Moses. You haven't been following the ways of Abraham. Part of that is because you don't know them. Right now we have the blind leading the blind. Ministers who... Listen to ministers who listen to ministers who didn't tell you the truth. Now, some ministers are starting to look for the answers. We're going to give them to you. And we're putting them together so you can just go through these chapter after chapter, look up word after word. I'm putting in a lot more footnotes than I probably need to do. But if you have questions, maybe it will answer your questions. Once you get a feel for it, when we were doing Exodus 18 this morning, we looked at Jethro and Moses was being a judge for the people. And Jethro said, you can't do it that way. You'll wear yourself out and you're not doing the people any good. You're going to wear the people out. You need to start delegating this authority. They need to start taking on that authority, taking on that responsibility which Jesus called the weightier matters, law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And so in Verse nineteen of Exodus eighteen, he's saying that hearken now to my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to God word, that thou mayest bring the cause unto God. So how do? It's not Moses bringing the cause to God. It's not Moses asking God, what should I do in this case. It's the people are going to have to ask that. They're going to have to pray to God and say, what is just right and fair in this situation? Now, it'll be a lot of local things. It'll be, you know, like I gave the example of Ruth and Boaz. I've probably done videos on that. You can look up jury. You can look up nullification at preparing you. And you can find out all about that. But what he was doing is giving the power back to the people to decide what... Was just right and fair. He was giving the power back to the people. To determine. What and how the law is to be applied. According to the weightier matters. And of course we talked about it. The weightier matters. Is. Law. Which includes judgment. You have to adjudicate these things. Mercy. And faith. Faith in what? Faith in the righteousness of God. So. So. This is very important that uh, when I was listening to Jordan Peterson's Exodus 8, Dennis Prager talked about it. Another fellow from England was talking about their judicial system. They mentioned common law and, uh, you know, English common law. English common law used to recognize individual natural rights more than most other legal systems. But there are two forms of common law, and we have articles up on this. Common, there's british common law but then there's the common law of the people now british common law is affected by parliament you know parliament will make statutes and in, you'll think you're in a co- common law court but you're actually it looks a lot like a common, common law court but you're actually in a statutory court next checker court a court of the king and you, it the the judges you're not appointing most of the judges Uh, These judges are appointed from the top down. They are part of, you know, like the British Bar Association. They have to do things according to the parliament. They're answerable to the parliament. In original British common law, we give this whole history in other places, the juries decided fact and law. And they could actually override the parliament. This is very important. If you don't have the power in your juries to override parliament... You're back in the bondage of Egypt. That's just another item. I mean, cause now that you're, you're a subject citizen. Of course, in England, they even call themselves subjects. They have like six different kinds of passports because they have all these different statuses. But the reality is, is, well, we won't get into that topic, but they're not really a republic anymore. They're a parliamentarian kingdom inside of a republic. And they don't have a lot of their rights in America. When before they created the United States, the people were free in the individual states. They could actually own property if they purchased it certain ways. We've talked about this. Explained the whole history of that. The Green Mountain Boys, Ethan Allen, what, what, why they were doing things the way they were doing, why a lot of the Hessians ended up well, as soon as they finished their service. As Hessian troops, they came to America because they wanted to own land in fee simple, untaxed by all the world. I have a series of books right behind me put out by the Encyclopedia Britannica, James Truslow's March of Democracy, and he says there on page 45, they owned their land uh, and they were untaxed. Their labor wasn't taxed, their land wasn't taxed, uh, and their children weren't taxed. (laughs) So they were actually free men if they met certain qualifications, you can't do that in America anymore. You've all gone back into the bondage of Egypt. And now the only way out is first to admit you're back into the bondage of Egypt and then start finding out how you got there and then trace your steps and go back. And that's what Moses is going to be teaching us in the next few chapters. And this, I'm going to keep referring to this. If Jordan Peterson and his guys ever listen to this uh audio... They need to understand Dennis Prager was wrong. Justice needs to be including mercy in both the macro and the micro. And in other words, you see, he probably has very little understanding of jury nullification or what a common law jury actually is and how it operates. He doesn't, he doesn't get those systems of law. But that's, that's where you need to go back to. But you can't just jump back there. You have to, and, and neither could the Israelites just jump back there. It was a process of learning. There was a lot of things they had to do. And that's not a cure-all in itself. There's other aspects and we'll see Moses bringing them up. I'm hinting at them when I'm talking about the altars. And you know, I, I was mentioning also, uh, the idea of the priests that uh, Jethro was a priest, uh, Aaron was a priest. They had other priests amongst them. We'll see that in chapter 19. And the priest had a certain role in society. It's not like what you see uh, your priests doing now or your ministers doing now, that where they go you you go down to church and they tickle your ears and tell you that you're saved and you say these magic words and we get this emotional feeling and you know you're saved. Because you love Jesus, you don't do what Jesus actually said, you don't, I'm not gonna do what Jesus actually commanded my disciples to do, you know, what he commanded his disciples to do, I'm not gonna do that, but I'm gonna say that I'm a Christian. I'm gonna say, Lord, Lord, but I'm not gonna do the will of the Father. And Christ warned us that many would come and do exactly that. But they're actually still workers of iniquity. Many of those workers of iniquity, of iniquity actually think they're born again. But they, they hate the light. And that's what we're sharing with you is the light. Or at least an intellectual version of the light. Because I, I am not the source of the light. I'm not even the source of understanding. I'm just showing you that what you thought was true just ain't so. And it's gotten you into a lot of trouble. And so we have to turn around from that and go another way. So on that page of chapter 18, I have a link to burnt offerings and sacrifices. You know, what are burnt offerings? You know, that again, those burnt offerings are have as much to do with the ashes after you burn up a sheep. As the leaven you're supposed to have out of your house has to do with yeast. Or the leaven of the Pharisees has to do with yeast. doesn't have anything to do with yeast. It's a metaphor. A burnt offering is a metaphor. An altar is a metaphor. And we have articles that explain all this. So I have links on that page so that you can go and read those other articles and find out what those altars are. And and what the cities of refuge, which we will eventually see Moses setting up the cities of refuge. And what a jury is and what nullification is. I have links to, to pages that we explain all this. I could even put links to the legal title in too. But uh, there's probably links on those pages so that you can follow that. Jordan Peterson also talks about uh, uh, pathos and logos and and this uh, conscientiousness. And uh, he he was talking about logos and and these things. And they don't, we have whole pages on logos, ethos, pathos. And these are different items of Greek uh, philosophy and theologies and everything else. And and they have some bearing on what we need to understand. They're different words than we would normally use. But... uh, they were thinking that you needed a parliament to prevent chaos. You you needed, uh, in order to provide cohesion and order in your society, you need a parliament or a legislature in order to create that cohesion. And evidently, Dennis Prager believes that too. And I understand that. That's what everybody is taught all the time. But in reality, if you look back in the details of history, not just what people give you in your history books, but you actually go back and read the the letters and historical documents of the people who lived the history, you see a certain aspect that is just being deleted all the time. And a lot of this deletion started taking place when we started going to public education. We had a high degree, high degree of education in America. Uh, The literacy rate was extremely high compared to all the other countries of the world. Public education did not change that. Uh, as a matter of fact, now it seems to have changed it for a short period of time. But reality, now we're getting kids that are coming out of high school that are functionally illiterate. Now, some people are learning in school. Absolutely, you can't help it. Just like in homeschooling. Most of the kids who go into homeschool, if you take them all in together, the ones that, uh, where their parents are diligent in teaching them, as as well as all those parents who believe in unschooling and don't teach them, the average kid still scores 30% higher than the kids who you spend tens of thousands of dollars on in public school. And even the homeschooling parents who believe in unschooling, they don't have any curriculum, they don't have any classes, their kids still score on par with the kids that go to public education. And you'll find exceptions in all this. But the reality is what you don't necessarily discover. Although you're starting to see evidence of now, your kids have all kinds of crazy ideas that they're picking up in school. Uh, you know, 70% of the kids who graduate from high school believe that socialism is good. And, and it only takes a couple of years in high school and they will come out thinking that. Now, there are people trying to counter that. But if you if we had been doing what Christ actually said and not doing what Christ said we should not do if we were actually following his instructions we would not be in the mess that we're in today. We would not be going to war with nations that really well they they may need to be fought but we would have God on our side. We don't have God on our side this time. I'm, a, I'm I know there's a lot of people who think they They do have God on their side, and they're sadly mistaken. Because if they can't see, I mean, they're comfortable in the bondage of Egypt. At least they are this week. As inflation continues, as the economy keeps crumbling, more and more people are going to become more and more uncomfortable. You won't see the news stories. I just had somebody I'd known for 50 years suddenly die. Just suddenly die. Uh, we don't know the exact cause yet, but we know they were fully vaccinated and they were in good health and then they just suddenly died. What happened? You know, the death toll is going up. I just saw, you know, a report from England. The average deaths are far higher today. The, the average death tolls in England are 30% higher today than they were at the height of COVID. At the height of COVID. 30% more people are dying now. But you don't hear about it in the news. So no reason to panic. When you heard that we were going to have all kinds of deaths because of this flu and everything, they had to roll those numbers back. But they got everybody panicked. So what's going on? Well, a lot more is going on than I'm going to tell you in this show. But I've got footnotes in here. If you have questions, join the network. Send us your questions on the network. We will address them. We'll hone these pages more and more so that you understand what's going on about what Moses is going to do based on what Jethro told him what he understands because he still prays about it to God. And he's giving the power of choice back to the people and the power of sacrifice back to the people. They're still going to owe some sort of tax but there's nobody to collect it. They have to pay it themselves. And if they don't pay it, nobody will arrest them and throw them in jail. They might not have anything to do with them anymore. They might not help them out, but they're not going to force them to pay a tithe. They're not going to kick in their door. They're not going to seize their property because they didn't pay a tithe. That's just not, to, that's not the system of government he's setting up that's not the system of government we used to have in America but it is today because you did not a lot of people did not understand what the bible was really talking about they thought leaven was about yeast they thought uh altars of uncut stone were about piles of rocks they thought a burnt offering was the ashes left over after you burned up a sheep all that's not true and we have article after article that takes you through this step by step So that you can find out what the real truth is. When it says here, hating hating covetous, the people you pick, to be a part of this judgment. And again, we talked this morning about how these people are picked. Same way that Peter did it. Moses doesn't know all these people. He's not having them fill out applications. And even he did, he has to have witnesses to know if the application is good. That would wear him out more than just hearing the dang case. So he's he's going to say to the people, look out amongst yourselves. And who's he going to say this to? He's going to say it to the elders, which we see consistently brought up here. Elders, he calls in the elders. He tells the elders. The elders go back and tell the people. So he knows now that he needs people that are able and uh believers in truth and hating covetousness. And that's who we're going to appoint to be in these cities of refuge, our court of appeals. The local courts are just handled in the local congregations, the local ida, as we talked about this morning. So you can go back to those other recordings and find out if you missed those. But he says, hating covetous. Prager, Dennis, says that just means corruption. He's just talking about, you know, people that, that hate corruption. But, No that's not what it means. <laughs> it actually means it's beza is the word, betza. It means covetous. And uh it it has to do with cutting off greedy covetous. Uh that's it's from a word that means to cut off, cut me off greedy or covetous. Uh but it ha- has to do with profit, unjust gain. Desiring something taken from your neighbor that you don't necessarily have a right to, but you want that gain. That's as important to you as the gain. The justice is not as important to you as the gain. See, all your judges today, they're supposed to be thinking about, you know, justice, but a lot of them are thinking about their pension. And I've, I've been in court many, many times. Nobody's taken me into court. I've gone to court to help other people. And to be there, to, you know, like I say, to bring the Holy Spirit into the courtroom. Because most of the time, it ain't in there. <laughs> but what Moses is going to be teaching the people by setting this system up, he's going to teach them, and this is what Jethro is saying when he's, he's talking about they have to go toward God. And so that God is... The, it, so that the Holy Spirit is giving them the wisdom to execute this judgment in their courts. And and it's not an intellectual thing that you learn. I mean, you can learn things about it intellectually, but ultimately you have to judge every case individually because every case is individual because it's all about individuals. But they're not going to learn it unless they walk it. But the other important thing is that they're going to be organized for judicial purposes in the 10s Fifties, hundreds, and thousands—they're already organized in that same manner. They were organized when they were coming out of Egypt in a similar fashion. They needed to be organized because they were maybe going to—you know—they got all these people. It, like I, I always say, that the, the system of tens is the buddy system times ten. It's not times two. It's times ten you you got to keep track you got thousands of people moving along kids moving along sheep moving along it's a jumble mess it would be a total chaos if you weren't organizing the tens hundreds of thousands if you weren't agreeing there's some way we have to mark these sheep so i know that they're my sheep there's some way i have to mark my kids so that i know that they're my kids i got nine other guys in my ida in my congregation helping me keep track of my kids so they don't lose them like Mary and Joseph did (laughs) when they went to Jerusalem. And they say, oh my gosh, where's Jesus? we got to go back and find Jesus. Of course, he's okay. But but the reality is that these are real problems and they have to be organized. It's not just a mad mad mass of people. Same thing in early Christianity. They were going to have to rightly divide the bread from house to house, not just the loaves and fishes, but they were going to have to take over all the social welfare for Christians because if you got the baptism of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, you were going to be cast out of the social welfare system of the temple. You weren't going to get any more Corbin from the Pharisees. You weren't going to get their Corbin. Of course, their Corbin was making the word of God did not affect because it was full of yeast. No, because it was full of leaven. It was full of force. John the Baptist wasn't using force. He said, you know, everybody else is using force, but we're not going to use force. We're going to use charity. We're going to use love for one another. Jesus said the same thing. How do you take care of the needy of your society? You in Australia? You in China? You in Guatemala? You in England? How do you take care of the needy of your society? How do you fulfill your duty to the needy of your society? Do you do it through faith, hope, and charity? Or you do do it through force and fear and fealty through men who exercise authority one over the other. If you do it that way, you're not doing it the way that Christ said to do it. You're not doing it the way the first century said church said to do it. And so, if you're not doing it that way, you have no means to set up a common law court. I know guys who are trying to set up common law courts and they've been trying to do it for years. And you know, Brandy uh, Lee. I know Randy Lee from way back. I've told stories just in the last year about Randy Lee and how I met him and all that stuff. Great guy. But he's going about it wrong. You have to set up the system of charity first. Well, they're already getting that system set up. The manna was a part of that system. Everybody goes out and gathers that... You know, they didn't get an EBT card, so they have to go out and gather the manna by hand, and they put it in a container. And everybody has a right to at least one whole measure in 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 that you know a set size little container. You have for everybody in your family. You have a right to that measure, and then you have to eat it that day. Tomorrow you'll have to gather again. But some people you know, you know, are not going to be able to gather that much. They're going to try, but they're not. I always, I'll, I'll revert back to the story. Everybody likes the stories I tell. Not everybody, but you're going to get it anyway. I was working on the Harry Naka Onion Radish Farm for Harry and his brother Roy. Uh, two Japanese fellows. Very remarkable individuals. Uh, they used to live up here in Northern California at Tule Lake they were imprisoned there <laughs> when they were like four and five or five and six or something like that. And uh Harry tells about, you know, he had to put newspapers over his brother. It was so cold up here. They were used to Southern California. And it was so cold up here when they first got in, they didn't have enough blankets. So he was wrapping his brother in newspapers to keep him from freezing. So that creates bonds when you have to do that kind of stuff. Uh, but anyway... I worked for him, and uh, not for a long time, but uh, I learned a lot working for him, and uh, we had lots of great conversations, but uh, one, one of my jobs was to make sure that all the pickers had enough crates, and then I would count the crates, you know, they fill up a crate, they get paid so much per crate, and it's mostly Mexican workers picking the radishes, and Mostly Filipinos picking the onions. but you pick so many and what those guys did was just amazing with their hands. They were just it was like a dance uh, with their hands and they would pick you know 30, 40, 50 crates a day. some of the good pickers. And uh, there was a new guy that came up from Mexico and he was he was picking he was a little older guy and you could see he was slower, not as good. And like, he only had like 10 crates. He worked there all day, and he only had like 10 crates. Well, he's not gonna get paid very much with those 10 crates. But he was working all the time. Uh, I think he smoked. That was a real, you're gonna have to give that up. But anyway, at the end of the day, we're, we're making sure, you know, I know how many crates everybody, and I have to mark down how much crates everybody has, and then I'm helping them pick up so that You know, they may have all the radishes laying out in, in a row where they just picked them and then they go along and they pick up so many bunches. It was like 54 bunches in a crate. And, uh, they would, you know, you pick up so many and you throw them in and you count them out. And, uh, and we would get all the crates were full and there was still in every row where the different pickers were, there was still like 20 or 30 bunches. And it's not enough for a full crate, uh, but they're done for the day and they could, you know, they could probably put them all together and split that $2.50 or whatever it is that they get. I can't remember now. Been um, uh, more than 50 years. But, uh, they, one guy, one of the better pickers, he had like 20 or 30 uh, bundles there and he took them and he threw them over in the Pile where the guy who didn't have very many bundles or crates done. Uh, th- and then everybody else did the same thing. All the other guys in the different rows, some of them only had like, you know, maybe five or six bundles that didn't fit into the crate. And they just threw them over to him. And it gave him at least another whole crate, maybe more. I don't remember. But uh, they just did that. And, of course, everybody is doing that by the thousands and so they're gathering. They only have so much time to gather because pretty soon this it's going to dry up and you're not even going to have any manna. So out early in the morning, they're gathering all this for the food for the day, and for their bread for the day, and they're putting it into these containers. And if a guy can pick more, he picks more. And he has to personally give it to the people who did not pick enough. This is creating bonds in society. It is strengthening the network, and, and you, because you know, some guys pick more, and they're athletic and they're agile, and and some people are not, but they're they have. Moses has created a system whereby everybody has to do their share, and everybody has the right to share with those they think they. Need to do. I'll tell you one more story. Harry Maranaka's story again. So, we have all these pickers. I got lots of different pickers. There's a, one old guy that came. He's kind of old guy. Old guy to me. I'm a young 20 year old guy. 20 some years old. And, uh, I didn't know who he was at first, but I knew he was Japanese, and then eventually I found out he was Harry Maranaka's uncle. I'm sure he's passed away now. So, it, that man, matter Harry may have passed away. Now he'd be well old, older than me. But Harry came up and was asking, "How is this guy doing? How is that guy doing? You know, and everything." And I said, "He's oh, he's doing great. He's doing great. And well, this guy's a little slow, but he's picking up. You know, and they're just getting paid by the the bundle. You know, by the crate. So it's he's not." whipping anybody, (laughs) not forcing anybody, but he's just seeing how they're doing and wondering if they could be helped. Harry would take in people into his house if they didn't have a place to stay. He would do all kinds of things. And Roy, the same way. You know, if if there wasn't enough food, Roy would run down and get food for everybody. Make sure everybody had food to eat, although most people brought their own. So, yeah, these guys knew how to treat good workers and they treated them well. But, the one guy the old japanese guy i said notice that his bundles weren't quite up to snuff they had to be a certain size for the, you know they're going to go to the stores so they all have to have a uniform size that's what harry's looking for he doesn't care if you pick 50 crates or 20 crates but as those bundles go in they have to be a conformity size because you'll get complaints from the stores where they go to every day we send out a semi load of radishes, and, and onions. Well, this old Japanese fellow, his his bundles weren't quite up to snuff. I mean, if he held them next to each other, you can say, well, that's not quite as big as this other guy's bundles. Now, they're all going to get dumped out of the crates and go through this washer and get cleaned off and get the dirt off them and everything. And so then, then they'll come off on a conveyor line and then other guys who are paid by the hour will bundle them up in new crates, a little bit different number, and they will drip dry. They'll be, and then they'll be loaded onto the semi. And so, that guy's bundles are going to get mixed in with all kinds of really good bundles. And so they're not going to really notice it that much. But Harry notices. And of course, when he asked me, I told him, I said, "Well, his bundles aren't the same size as everybody else's bundles. And and he doesn't pick as many." But they're, the important thing is they're not the right size. They're a little smaller than they should be. There may be missing one or two radishes in each bundle. And Harry says, "Yeah, I know. He's my uncle." <laughs> so anyway, so he'll probably talk to the uncle. I don't. I don't have to scold the uncle. But people notice this. You're in an Amish community, and they're going to build a barn because somebody's barn burned down. Everybody's going to show up to work. Some guys will be an hour early. Some guys will bring all kinds of extra lumber. Some guys will work harder. Everybody notices that. They, everybody has to show up because that's how they pay for their insurance. If everybody shows up, when your barn burns down, everybody will show up. And they'll build you a barn. But if you're if you're not putting your all into it, everybody knows. You work at a factory. You work at a mill. Everybody knows who the good workers are and the bad workers. Well, the bad workers don't know who the good workers are. I guess <laughs> because, because they would have to realize that they aren't one of them. <laughs> but this is how you create bonds amongst men and women working in a society. Who is the helper? Who? This is how you become neighbors. You, when we were in the L.A. earthquake way back there in Northridge... Neighbors didn't know it, neighbors. Your friends weren't your neighbors. I mean, you kind of knew who they were. You maybe knew their name. But your friends was in another circle altogether. Because you didn't need your neighbors. In a real society, if somebody robs your house, it's your neighbors who are going to come to your aid. You see this when there's floods and earthquakes. Who's going to come to your aid? But in order to have a community that will do that, You have to build that trust. We don't build that trust anymore. Because we're not right. The church is not rightly dividing the bread from house to house. They, the churches, 90% of the churches, and I'm being generous here, probably more like 98% of the churches, or maybe 99% of the churches, if you have a need, they will send you Two men who exercise authority one over the other to get your benefits. Your legal charity. And so therefore, as long as you're doing that, you're not operating according to the perfect law of liberty. You're not operating by faith, hope, and charity. You're taking a bite out of your neighbor through the teeth of government. So you can have your parliament. You can have your legislation. You can have your... Semi-common law courts that aren't really common law courts. No, none of the courts in England decide fact and law anymore. Every court in the United States has a right to decide fact and law. Every jury. But they usually waive that right in the first few minutes that they, before they get to sit in the jury box. And we've explained that elsewhere. So, Understanding that they're setting up a legal system from the ground up where the people have to take back their responsibility. They have to learn to care about their neighbor. When they adjudicate something in their local community, they have to adjudicate it fairly. If they're not fair about it, the fair-minded people in their community are going to say, Boy, Leroy, you're not being fair. I I don't trust you anymore. I, I you know because you, you, you're 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 taking advantage of the people that are poorer than you, and that was in the story I gave you this morning. I just gave you a little hint at it. The jury that was trying William Penn over there in England, who was convicted in the minds of the law of breaking the Continental Act of sixteen nineteen there was a rich man on the jury who also understood the law, and through hook and crook, the more they squeezed the people, the more systems break break free, the jury decided in his favor and let him go. But the courts put the jury in prison. But the rich man paid the fine, helped them get out. Now I can tell you, whatever happened to that rich man when he finally got out and they finally just let him go, all the community knew what kind of a man he was and if he said there was a robbery uh, there's a, a book Silas Marner in it that somebody did a TV deal you probably look it up Silas Marner and uh, there's a scene in there where somebody gets their property stolen gets money stolen from them everybody turned out to find the money they didn't find it. The guy who stole it ended up, I won't give it all away, but eventually the money was found. And everybody knew whose money it was. And everybody wanted it to return to him. Because that was a community. That isn't going to happen this day and age. If you have a depression like you did in the 30s again, you will have people robbing one another, left and right. We've already seen it in the riots. If you lose your order now, you will have total chaos. Your neighbors will be perfect savages. Why? Because you've been listening to guys like Dennis Prager, who doesn't know what he's talking about. Nice guy, in a lot of ways. Does know a lot. Says a lot of great things. But when he thinks justice has to be macro... And Mercy is in the micro. He's 36 minutes in. You can hear him say it on Exodus 8. At their Exodus 8 symposium. He's absolutely wrong. Justice has to be in the micro. And it is in the courts. The real common law courts. Not parliamentary exchequer courts. But in real courts. But you can't build those courts until you build the altars. Of sacrifice, which have nothing to do with stones. That also comes up in their recording where they're talking about uncut stones and everything. Those stones aren't stones. Those stones are people. And those people will become a part of your appeals courts. Because they are men who hate covetousness. Who are not greedy for gain. All of which we see in the New Testament. What it is to be a bishop. What it is to be uh, a, a priest, a minister. A servant. They call them servants even. But along comes another church where the leader is sitting on a golden throne. And he creates a new church that still allows for some covetousness. And their bishops are withholding grain. Why? Because the priests have always been a part of the wealth distribution of society. But in a free society, that wealth distribution, what you want to share with your neighbor, comes willingly in a free will offering out of your hands to the man of your choice, to the guy you think will do a good job, not to some man pointed down from the top, which is why we talk so much about the idea rulers over tens, rulers over hundreds, rulers over 50. They weren't rulers They were rulers over responsibility. They weren't rulers over the people. No way on earth, and whether you know the Hebrew or not, did Moses go to all this trouble to deliver the people out of bondage, out of the dictatorial nature of Pharaoh, a dictatorial nature that even Moses abhorred. No way on earth was he doing that and then setting up rulers over the people to force the people to comply. That's not what they were doing. And if you can't figure that out, then maybe you need to go back into your prayer closet and hope the Holy Spirit enlightens you. So anyway, we've got the first hour and we haven't even got down to our notes on (laughs) Exodus 19, but... I think this is really important. This is a pivotal point because now he's starting to set up the kingdom. And now he's going to Mount Sinai. We're going to go through 19 eventually. We'll probably go through it again. Maybe we'll read through a little bit. I've got lambs in the field. (laughs) So I'm going to have to go out and attend to the lambs in the field. But just to start 19, to get us a little ways down because there's a couple of items in here that we're really going to have to take a deeper and deeper look at. Well, I have a summary underneath the picture that I have on that page, so maybe I should read that summary because I've been putting this together through several other pages, and it is full of links to other articles to help people understand. So you new-timers, you first-timers, that have never heard anything like this before, and maybe if this gets in the hands of my dear friend Dennis Prager, uh, I mean, because I, I really have a heart for Dennis Prager. I have a heart for Jordan Peterson. I have a heart for uh, Ben Shapiro. I I even have a heart for Barack Obama. <laughs> I even have a heart for Bill Clinton. Uh, there, you can't seem to get lower than that. I've always believed that Bill Clinton will eventually repent. I have faith in the possibility of his repentance. I, I have no control over it. He will have to repent. I know he's in a lot of pain now. And I know that he was put in a position that would have corrupted almost anybody. the power that he was tempted with this power. I mean Christ was tempted, but Christ upheld and and stood fast we We see the people tempting Moses and he and he upheld the people tempted Gideon, you know but Gideon said, "I and my family will not rule over you." Certainly, Moses was not appointing rulers to rule over the people from the top down. He was trying to get the people to rule over their own fallen natures. And the only way you can do that is by eating of the tree of life. Eating of the Holy Spirit. But in order to eat of the tree of life, you have to approach the tree of life. You can't approach the tree of life until... You sacrifice on free will offerings, on altars of voluntary stones. Voluntary stones. What are voluntary stones? I know many of you have listened. You know exactly what I mean. But anyway, what I wrote under the picture is the people of Israel who were kicked out of Egypt and eventually the Levites who were called out, organized themselves in the patterns of tens as Christ commanded. As Joshua was was setting up, as Moses was setting up, as countless cultures set up. But they were organizing themselves in this tens in order to protect one another, to care about one another. Not just to protect themselves. That wouldn't be good enough. That won't draw you near the Lord. And that won't get the Lord to hear your voice, hear your cries. But as Christ commanded his disciples to do with the people who would live by faith and hope and charity. People who were following Jesus Christ were following Jesus Christ partly because of the miracles. But also because John the Baptist had led the way. And John the Baptist said, if your neighbor has no coat and you have extra, share. Do the same in meats. But a lot of people today say if you don't have enough to eat or you don't have a coat or you don't have a place to live you go to the government and the government will provide you a place to live and food to eat and everything. But the government of the Gentiles which we have seen and Jesus talks about in Matthew, Mark and Luke. He says the princes of the Gentiles exercise authority one over the other. They call themselves benefactors, but they're not going to give you anything except what they take away from your neighbor. That's the way Obama does it. That's that's the way that... And until you address this elephant in the room, you're not going to be free. You need to understand that. And that's what Moses is telling you. That's what Abraham was telling you. That's what John the Baptist was telling you. That's what Jesus Christ was telling you. But the modern church, they're not telling you that. We are. So you should join together and create your own edict, your own congregations. You have to do it yourselves. You have to take that journey towards caring about others as much as you care about yourself. You can't just care about people who you like. you got to care about the people with bad breath and the people who have different customs than you, wear different clothes than you, put on, use different vocabulary than you. And you have to love them. I tell you, the more you love them in a congregation, that love will filter out those who aren't really people of faith. I don't know who's of faith. I have people come and say, oh, I believe in everything you say and everything, but all of a sudden they, they flee. They make all kinds of excuses up sometimes. Sometimes they just flee. Why are they fleeing? Because love in everybody will also love your enemy. Love those who are not for you. It will be like hot coals upon their heads. And they will have to go away. So, if you think somebody shouldn't be in your congregation, you don't resent them. You don't resist them. You don't hate them. You may have to say certain things occasionally. Occasionally, be careful. You're you're not God. <laughs> you know, be careful. Don't cast your pearls before a swine. Turn up the love. Turn up the love. And they may go away at first and they may come back again later. I hope they do. The more you turn up the love, but in order for you to turn up the love, you don't have any power. You don't have, you don't have a lamp you can turn up unless you have oil. How do you get the oil that you need? I mean, the foolish virgins, they didn't have any oil. They ran out of oil. So they didn't even get to come in. They had to run off and say, well, where can I get oil now? It's so late. There are shortages and in inflation. Oil is way up in price. <laughs> How do you get that oil? Where's that oil come from? I've I've had some revelations about that. I've always wondered that and pondered it, just like I always wondered, what were they doing in the temples? You know, why are they building up altars and God smells the burnt sheep and he thinks that's good? No, 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 no. It's metaphors. you got to get the leaven out of your house or you'll be condemned. We're going to see here in 19, where if you go and touch the mountain, you're going to be stoned. That's what it says. You, you could be stoned or you could be shot through with an arrow. Is that really what the words say there in the Hebrew? Is that really what they mean? That's what we're told they mean. But, of course, we were told that leaven is just yeast, and we were told that uncut stones are just rocks. And we're told that burnt offerings are sheep that you burn up to make God happy. We see them it's making sacrifices of sheep and eating the sheep and having a feast. I actually know somebody came up uh, and I know somebody who went, I, I won't give the name, but they were going to have, they were going to re-enact the Feast of the Tabernacle. And they read the Bible. They read the English version of the Bible. Of course, it, if they really carefully read it and understood what they were reading, but they, they didn't really understand. That, so they thought they had to burn up the whole sheep. Because there's, there's a phrase in there that makes it sound like you had to burn up the whole sheep. And they they put the whole sheep on the fire and set it on fire. Because they're going to have the burnt offering, right? Burn up. Well, somebody who's actually listened to me a little while. <laughs> and read some of our books and everything. Came all the way out here. He was telling me the story because he was actually there. He said it was unbelievable because, of course, the gases in the stomach of the sheep start to expand and then there are actually volatile gases. There's methane in there, so there were actually explosions <laughs> all kinds of stuff. No, they never did that. They they said everything had to be burned up. That was after you ate all the meat and Suck the marrow out. <laughs> and uh, everybody had a feast and everybody was full. And the point is is that you couldn't store something away. It's the weights. same thing they were saying with the manna. You couldn't store it away and build up a treasure for yourself with the sacrifice that you're sharing. So you had to learn how to sacrifice for one another. That's what you have to do. You have to start taking care. It's not about throwing away ID and filing papers or or setting up your you know, tens, hundreds, and thousands. You know, the courts of one hundred. It isn't about that. It's about tapping into the tree of life, and you're not doing that. And you start living by faith, open charity, and caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. See, the world wants to kill care. You know, we've I got a whole article on care. that, they, that is actually the great reset's plan. Is to kill care so you don't care about anybody else because they can have their way with you when you don't care about anybody else. Nobody will come to anybody's aid. They'll be able to shut down the economy worldwide and nobody will be able to do anything about it. <laughs> that could actually happen. Wait a minute. It did happen. <laughs> and thousands, millions of people are going to die and are dying just because of the shutdown. I'm not talking about any other thing that might enter into your body. We're just talking about the shutdown. Millions of people will die and are dying because of the shutdown. And they actually have you going to war with the same type of propaganda. You know, propaganda is legal in the United States today. There was a law that said it was illegal for the government to publish propaganda to the U.S. citizens in the United States. There was a law that actually said that that was illegal. They removed that. Obama removed it. It was buried down in a, back in the days when I used to read all the statutes just to understand how all this was working. And, I mean, I've done recordings on all that. That's all in the past. Now, you're running out of time. But now it's absolutely legal for the United States government to publish what they know is false propaganda. They could. There was a law that said they could do this in foreign countries, but they couldn't do it in the United States. They have now removed the restriction of they can now do it in the United States. It's absolutely legal. And they're doing it. And so you go, that is affecting the mountains of Samaria, which is your mountains of truth. Do you love truth? Well, then you probably are suspicious of CNN. But you think all the truth is coming out of Fox? Well, maybe you don't love truth as much as you should. (laughs) Because all the truth, I mean, I love Tucker Carlson. He says a lot of things that are true. But he isn't preaching the kingdom. And the kingdom of God is your only salvation. Because the kingdom of God means that you're learning the perfect law of liberty. You're learning to love your neighbor as yourself. You're learning to live by that love, which is charity. Charity, same word as love. And you might be able to start practicing pure religion, which is the rest of the quote here. That you're you're living by this faith, hope, and charity, which was love, rather than the leaven of Egypt. And of course, leaven is a link, so you can go to the article and find out that leaven has nothing to do with yeast. And the Corban of the Pharisee Corbin is a link to show you that the Corbin of the Pharisees, why it was making the word of God did not affect, and why Social Security is the Corbin of today, instituted by the Pharaoh of today, which we call FDR, and all the subsequent followers of FDR, who is a FDR was a Nazi. Oh, But we didn't use the word Nazi. <laughs> we, FDR was a social democrat. A democratic socialist. That's what FDR was. And he instituted a program of socialism, which is what social security is. It's in the name, social security. Now, who was taking care of all the elderly before? Well, sons and daughters, neighbors, and charitable people. But it was creating bonds amongst society and I've told you how that works. But you don't do that anymore. So because you do that you fell prey to the second thing. You fell prey to courts that were already being set up. I mean they were always around. You Go back to the Judiciary Act of 1789. I have an article on that. Probably have a recording there because I've talked about it. There's a provision in there. I think it's like section 19. That says courts of equity are okay in the United States. They were hardly used, but they're okay to use. Well, that's now really all you have is course to equity. You don't have common law course. And if you have anything that even looks like a common law court before you sit on the jury, they will ask you to raise your right hand to swear that you will decide this case based on the laws of the state of whatever state you're in. And you can't tell you know, when he says state of Oregon... You can't say, tell if that's all caps, State of Oregon Corporation. <laughs> or you're talking about the general state of Oregon that was here back when it became a state. All that's changed. All that's shifted. And we've we've gone through the whole history. So, But Moses is not telling you how to get back. And I'm giving you a heads up. If you do not sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and create a network that operates by love, which is operates by charity that practices the righteousness of God, so that you can learn what that means. Because that's what it says. That's what it says. And would have to learn to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness through their practice of pure religion, another article, instead of the covetous practices that make men merchandise which is the system set up by Social Security through FDR. And before that, in order for FDR to do what he was doing, first you had to have Wood Wilson set up a system, uh, a communist system of the Federal Reserve. Now, right now, that was the big thing, is who's going to be the head of the next Federal Reserve. And uh, I know it's the World Bank, I guess, they're uh, trying to get the World Bank guy head of that. People have no idea. You're, if you're reading the paper, <laughs> Thomas Jefferson says, if you don't read the paper, you're uninformed. If you do read the paper, you're misinformed. Same thing goes on. But I can give you all these facts and you get drowned in the facts. You don't want all these facts. You you want the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes when you sacrifice that the Corbin, the word Corbin comes from the word that means sacrifice, but it comes from a word that means to draw near. The Aaron and Moses' mother and father were probably the prize people in the community. He was the father was a priest, that's we know that. Aaron was a priest. And as a priest, he was in charge of the social welfare amongst Israelites. Uh, he probably understood the grain and all this stuff. But it was all overseen by the Pharaoh. Because they were all in bondage. But still, in a system of bondage, you can take care of one another. And you're finding that that's already necessary. I, I will put out here uh, on the radio broadcast, if anybody knows a doctor... In or near Las Vegas or in Nevada or are interested in helping somebody that's in Las Vegas in the hospital who's looking for somebody who is uh, a medical person, a medical doctor that will also look at alternatives. I don't know what his problem is, but if you have that, Email me the name and contact information for that doctor, and I will pass it on to the individual. I've been looking, but uh, I, I don't know. The bigger the network is, the more we will be able to find people like that. I wish the individual would actually be a part of our network, and then we could. We have all kinds of people that could probably help him with that. Whatever the case is, but I, ju- I don't know the particulars because he didn't want to put him out on the post that he gave. I may write him and see if we can't get it. But this is absolutely going to be important. It's very interesting that in this 19, which we've only just began to look at this in the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, out of that bondage, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai, for they were departed from Rephidim which is where the well was, and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. Wait a minute, isn't the house of Jacob the same as the children of Israel? No. That's why he's saying it this way. And why does he say, he uses a particular word for saying, Thus, there's another word for thus, shalt thou say, and none of them are spelled like the root word. They have extra ladder, letters to it. And a lot of people, they haven't. Almost nobody has caught this yet, and I haven't gone through a great deal of detail. I'm always pointing out these extra letters, especially when they're internalized in the word. And, and when they substitute, uh, you know, they take away a letter and add a letter. Uh, like, instead of Torah, they say Torah, or Torah with a vav on the end, or Torah with a yad and a vav on the end, which we just talked about this morning. This is actually a different word. Yes, it has sometimes something to do with syntax. And like a vav on the end of a word can mean and, or at the beginning of the word usually, can mean and this. And you can interpret it that way because it doesn't translate over to English just perfectly. It's not like math. But they're telling you something extra. And we'll get into that next time because I'm going to go out and tend to the flock, my Mm -hmm. other flock, the real woolly flock. But I want... You just start thinking about this. I mean, the two words that they're talking about that are say, you know, even the word called, the Lord called. He went up to Elohim. He went up, he's going, went up unto God, which is Elohim. And when he was doing this, and the Lord called unto him, Yahweh called unto him. So Yahweh isn't the same as Elohim. This is very clear. Now, a lot of people say, well, Yahweh, that means God. No, Yahweh means the existing one. Whoever is speaking to him, and and of course, way back at the beginning, it said an angel, and of course, it's the same word for a messenger. A messenger of Yahweh is saying certain things, and he wants to know, well, what's the name of the one? Who's saying this? Not the not the messenger. I don't want to know the name of the messenger. I want to know the name of who is sending this message because that's who I'm. I, I, that's who's sending me because the messenger is saying you have to go this way because this message. So we want to reduce everything like you know God standing here and Yahweh standing here, and it's not like that. So. The Lord, Yahweh, the existing one, called unto him as he went up to the judge, to the ruling judge, up to God. He's going to God. Now, is he actually walking up the mountain to God? Is he just going to God and walking up the mountain as the outward sign? So anyway, this Elohim translated more than one way, which means also judge, everything else we talked about that. And the Lord called, and they use this word uh, quora, which is kuf, resh, uh, yod, cried, the word is also translated proclaimed to Moses to do this, tells Moses to do this, say to the house of Jacob. But tell, which means actually to make known to the children of Israel. So he's going to say certain words to the house of Jacob. But to the children of Israel, he's gonna make known something by what he says. And this is what, you know, this is why I'm giving you all this information. There are some people out there that they may be of the house of Jacob or whatever house they're of, but they're not really Israel. Because Israel is actually contending with God in their heart and their mind. Struggling with God in their heart and their mind. They're not struggling with doctrines from the tree of knowledge. They're, they're not struggling with ideologies or idols. They're Well, maybe they are, but Israel is not. Israel is trying to have that personal relationship with the divine character of God, which comes through the Holy Spirit, which is represented in the original story as the tree of life. Because that's, that's how you're really going to know good and evil. And that's why Moses is constantly going back to the tree of life. And eventually we're going to get into, and we've hinted around, and I've actually talked about it in other places, what Moses is doing and how he is doing it to get back to that tree of life. But an essential ingredient in that journey is that you have to stop being selfish and start being like Christ, sacrificing yourself in love. Not. So that you can get a benefit, but so that you can be a benefit to others. You give life. This is the nature of life. I had a sheep out there just before I went on the air.
1: And I saw her
0: pushing and my wife saw it first and then I was running out there and laying out feeding and gonna run out there to see if she needed help. It's a nice sunny day so, but she was, she had feet up in the air pushing <laughs> and all of a sudden she pushed that lamb out and I could see the lamb there and the lamb's he- head popped up. I was on my way out to her and as I got closer and closer suddenly she got spooked and she started to run away from the lamb. Back to the herd because they have two instincts. Take care of the lamb, get back to the herd. I, which one do I do? And I saw that and so I, I started backing up and she saw I was backing up and then she felt less and then I made the noise of a lamb. I'm way off. And... uh and I'm in a different direction, but I made the noise of the lamb, and she heard that noise of the lamb, and she thought, oh, lamb. Right, that's the other thing I have to be concerned about. (laughs) And she turned around and looked back where she had delivered the lamb. I mean, she delivered the lamb out the back. She never even saw it. When she jumped up, she just started running back to the herd. But when I backed up and made the, you know, kind of threw my voice and made the noise of the lamb, suddenly that woke up in her So I said the name of the lamb. But when she turned around and looked back at the lamb, then it was made known to her that she had to take care of that lamb. And she ran back to the lamb instead of to the flock. And she started licking it right away and she started taking care of it. That is the difference is that, well, that's part of it. That's just one way of put it. That's another story. Is that I can tell you, I can make the noise of righteousness. I can t- explain to you what unrighteousness looks like. But it's only made known to you if you walk the walk. Because I'm not the source of that knowing. You have to know God. You have to know the tree of life. So you have to get back to the tree of life. So, when we do go through 19, which will probably be next week, and we really have to set the scene because when we start getting into 20, we're going to have a lot of new revelations and we're going to have a lot of garbage to set down, a lot of baggage to set down. Those of you who are regular listeners will know. But eventually, hopefully, we'll drive people have all this up on the site so you can look it up. I will add... A dozen more links on this page. I've, I've got a lot of things lined out and I've looked up the things. I got tons of notes on this, but uh, there's room for more. And so hopefully we'll have that by next week and we'll get that done and then we will we'll get on to 20 and we'll be at least halfway by then. But I know that Jordan Peterson is going to release his. And so I want everybody to see what they're missing and hopefully they will hear this. And they will realize what they're missing. Because one system is going to create narcissists and will actually even create schizophrenics, but it definitely will create psychopaths, what we call psychopaths, and narcissists, and it will, one system will turn people into perfect savages. Because it will cut them off from Righteousness. Even Polybius saw this. Even Plutarch saw this. But certainly John the Baptist saw this. But your modern church is not getting it. Hopefully, the the more of you that wake up, the more light there will be. It will create more conflict in the long run, but the light is what will save you. The willingness to see the truth and provide for it. So anyway... We got that far, and uh, we're that far in our recording, but I'm going to keep it at about an hour and a half. I'll cut, cut out all those things that I didn't need to say. <laughs> but uh, until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless.